In first century Jerusalem, you would see a group of disciples or students walking through the streets and among them leading the way their teacher, their rabbi. So valuable was the opportunity to follow the rabbi that you longed to be covered in the dust of his feet. Jesus of Nazareth was walking those ancient streets. Today, Jesus is still calling disciples. Come, follow me that all who draw near may be covered in dust. Oh, good morning, Ryan City Church. How we doing? Yeah, you guys are rowdy this morning. Let's go. All right, open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11. So here's what we're doing. We're looking at this idea of what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be covered in the dust of our rabbi? And we explained that a disciple does three things. First, a disciple spends time with Jesus, that we actually know him, that we're close to him, we walk with him. Second, as we spend time with him, we become more and more molded in his image. We become more like Jesus. And then third, once, as we walk through this process, we join him. Him. We do what Jesus did. We join him on his kingdom bringing mission. That is our goal. That is what we're doing. We're not trying to uh, form, you know, establish a religion. We're not trying to gather a crowd. We are calling disciples. We are, that is what our souls long for. It is Jesus. It, it's, not, it's, it's not a gathering on a Sunday. It's a relationship with our creator. And so that, is, that has to be the foundation of everything that we do, experiencing the full life of Christ being with him. And so what we've ex been exploring is the way that we do that is through spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices or relational practices or simply living the way of Jesus. Those are all ways of saying the same thing. And let me remind you of kind of the operating definition we're working with. Spiritual practices are actionable habits, things that you do and that you do repeatedly that allow us to participate in living the way of Jesus in our everyday life. This is not some separate category. Okay, cool. I have, I have work and I have family and I, and I have all these different categories. And then over here is Jesus. No, living the way of Jesus, what he's called us to in everyday life. And so what we've been looking at over the last few weeks is this foundational practice of knowing the voice of Jesus in our lives. And how do we hear his voice? Through his written word. And so I preach a sermon and Scott preached a sermon and Nolan preached a sermon, all in the same thing. Why we need to be a people who hear the voice of Jesus. If we're going to follow after him and know him, we want to hear his voice. And what I want to talk about today and what we're going to be entering into over the next four weeks is looking at this idea, okay, if I want to actually follow Christ, if I want to be a disciple of him, this can't just be adding something onto my life. That, that, that so many of us, we're so overworked, we're so overwhelmed, we're so um, busy in our lives that we don't even have time for relationship with others. We don't have time to walk through intimacy with 
Christ. And so we're going to be looking at this idea of the toxic way of a hurried life and how damaging that can be to us. And so we're going to start by looking at the call of Jesus to follow him and to be his disciples. And we're going to, we're, we're going to kind of do a little bit of heart surgery in our own lives. And you guys are going to hate it. And you're all going to be mad at me. But we're going to end with Jesus and it's going to be all good. Okay, so Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like, here's what I need you to hear. Like, we are all crazy busy. We are. Let me just give you a glimpse of my story, uh, my, my journey. So when I was about 19, I felt a really strong call on my life to plant a church. And so, but I was 19 and I was like, okay, well, if that's where I'm headed, I need to, I need to get some training. And so I moved from the Bay Area, California, um, up to Portland, Oregon. And I started going to Multnomah Bible College and, and on this track to train to be a pastor and study the scriptures. Well, if you know anything about me, like I am like Mr., like I have so many things going on at once. I have like all these different interests. So while going to Bible college, I also was very interested in business, and this is, you know, right as, you know, the internet and small businesses are kind of booming. So I decided while in class, I would teach myself how to develop and design websites. So I'm like, like listening in one ear, like heavy theology, Old Testament scriptures, while like like learning, uh, learning Photoshop on a pirated version of Adobe, right? That, 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 that was me, right? And so I actually started this web design business, and, you know, I graduated, and I had this wrestling of like, ah, am I going to pursue ministry, or am I going to pursue business? And so I, I started this business, and it just took off, okay? If, if you were in the Portland area, and, and you searched on Google for web design, my business at the time was the number one hit, okay? And if you know anything about like search engine optimization rankings, that means you're getting a lot of business. So I, during the day, I'm having all these meetings and building websites and literally like on the fly learning all this. And then at night, I was a youth pastor. That was so like a nerdy code guy during the day and like fun, bubbly, like, you know, like whipped cream and Jesus, you know, by, by night, right? That's you. If you've done youth ministry, you know the, the, the vibe of that. And, and I was loving it. And I was just like, man, this is amazing. Like, this is what I want to be doing with my life. And I was about 25 and I met my wife. And uh, four days after meeting her, I told her brother, Hey, I'm, I'm going to marry your sister. He was like, all right. Four dates into dating her, I told her, just so you know, I'm going to marry you. Four months into dating her, I put a ring on her finger. And four months after that, I gave her my last name. I was like, go, 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 go. That, that is just who I am, okay? We had a five-year plan. We were going to wait five years to have kids. 
five months after we were married, <laughs> Dax comes into the picture, right? And she gets pregnant with Dax, okay? And so it, all of a sudden it's like, okay, now we'll, we're going to have a kid. Now what does this look like? You know what we should do? We should quit like our, our job. Like I should stop doing youth ministry and seek the Lord and what's next. And we should plant a church. And so we plant this church all while still, you know, so Dax is six months old. Um, I'm still running my business. We plant a church, and we accidentally buy a short sale house the same month we plant a church that needed complete, complete remodeling, okay? And then we start going with that. And over the next two years, you know what else we did? We're like, hmm, we should buy another house because being a landlord sounds fun. And uh, let's have another kid. And we're just like going. And the church starts growing, and we can't quite fit. And so what do you do? Well, at that point, you buy a skating rink, okay? And, and if you're going to buy a skating rink, you might as well buy raw land to build, you know, build and design you know, your own house on as well. And we're just like going, 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 all these things, all just, all this craziness. And I just, I have to confess to you, I loved every second of it. Like, like my week, Monday, it was like working either church or website all day long, meet leadership team meetings Monday night, Tuesday, work all day long, facility meetings, Tuesday night, Wednesday, work all day long, small group, you know, Wednesday night, Thursdays, we would have like a double date with somebody, it'd be fun, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm preparing to preach, start over Monday, and I'm like, this is it, like, this is the jam, and then we were at small group one week, and somebody asked my wife, Jessie, what's it like being married to Jason, and she says, it's like being married to a freight train. And I thought it was a compliment. <laughs> Whoopsie. Like, we're crazy busy. Do you feel that? Like, the pace we run at, where we go. And, and Jesus says, all who are weary and burdened. This word weary, it means you're exhausted you're from all the work you've been doing. Like, I, I feel like I can't keep up. I feel like I got to keep going. I'm worn out. I'm depleted. There's nothing left in the tank. Burdened, what it means, it's a word that means overloaded to the point where you can no longer function properly. Like, there, there's actually too much weight. Like, I don't, I don't know if you feel that ever, but you feel, bur- you feel, like, I feel overloaded to where there's so much on my shoulders that I can't even function properly. It's, it, it would be the term that would be used of, of the load capacity in the back of a pickup truck. So you, you get a pickup truck, and it always says, hey, this is how much weight this truck can carry and still function properly. And if you're a guy, you're like, mm, challenge accepted, right? You know? And then all of a sudden, you got a low rider, you know, and, that, and, and you put more gravel, and you're like, I think I can get out of the driveway. And maybe you can. I think I can make it down the street, and maybe you can, but eventually, if you are overloaded, things are going to start breaking. Things are going to start. That's what Jesus is speaking to. He says, the all who are weary and burdened, and that, that's our society. We are overworked and overloaded. We are busy, and we are addicted to it. We're addicted to the speed, to the rush, to the pace Like it started out as like Wall Street gurus and entrepreneurs, and now it seems like everybody's busy. Have you noticed that? Like it doesn't matter who you talk, you talk to a college student, and they just seem overwhelmed. You're like, yeah, wait till you have kids. You get like judgy, you know? Yeah, you have kids. Imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby, right? Like, like but everybody is. Baristas are busy. Stay-at-home moms, remote workers. 
We all thought like, oh, I'm going to start working from home. This is going to be great. Now, you know the problem with working from home is you never leave work, right? And so now you're like, I'm, I'm actually juggling all these things while trying to work at the same time. Even I'll talk to retired people and I'm like, you sound really busy. Like I thought it was like, you know, you're supposed to be like, at the beach, living out of a van down by the river now. Like, isn't that the goal? And that, you get bored with that after two weeks, and we're addicted to the rush. You ask people, how are you doing? I'm like, ah, oh, I'm just really busy. It's all, and we wear it like a badge of honor. I, I picked up my son Dax from school the other day, and immediately he gets in the car. He goes, Dad, how many hours until bedtime? <laughs> he, like, had to know. He's like, okay, planning, he's planning his day and mine, right? Like, here's, here's what we're doing. And, and this is, there are elements of this that I just need you to hear that are a new phenomenon. Like, there, there's been a, a, a movement, okay? So, you know what it started with? It started with the invention of the light bulb. Because before the invention of the light bulb, you know when you went to bed? <laughs> when God said, <laughs> lights out, Right? <laughs> Before, in the late 1800s, the average, you know how long the average person slept each night? 11 hours. Amen. Yeah. Some of you guys are like, that is my spirit animal. Like, I was born in the wrong century. Like, I would thrive in that. You read these biographies of people waking up at four in the morning for prayer and fasting. And you, I'm like, oh, I'm, they're so much more spiritual than me. I'm like, no, they went to bed at seven. Like, after nine hours, you're like, it's, it's time. Like, do something with my life. You know the average today? What it is, the average American, how long the average American? Seven. Yeah. Yeah, you guys all know it because you're like, you're like goaling for seven. You know, like I got five, right? Seven. That is a shift, a massive shift. When technology, the, the technological revolution started even beginning, in the late 1960s, they, they had a Senate committee that made a prediction. They're like, looking at how technology is going to enhance our lives and how automation and the future of like robotics and all these kind of things, we predict that by 1985, the average American is going to work 22 hours a week because everything's gonna be automated and they're only gonna to have to work 27 weeks a year. How are we doing at that, <laughs> right? <laughs> It, that didn't happen, did it? Like, now we just work for all those robots, you know? They're like, tell us what to do, right? Like, that, that, there's been this shift. And part of this shift has been the invention of the cell phone, and particularly the iPhone, right? I remember being 16 years old. My mom got me a cell phone for my birthday, and I was mad. I'm like, why do I want one of these stupid things? She's like, so I can call you. I'm like, exactly. Like, you know, like, and now, like, now... The average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day. Like, that shapes you. You're always being bombarded with the next thing, the next message, the next thing to feel FOMO over, right? And, and, and even our attention span. In, before the digital revolution of the 2000s, our attention span was 12 seconds. Since then, it has dropped to eight seconds. For context, a goldfish is at nine. <laughs> now, I don't know how you do your scales, but anytime you're below goldfish, I do not feel like that's a good thing. Like, we're not doing good, humanity. And we've, we've just become addicted to the rush of life. Have you realized that if you, like, think about taking a day off or taking a nap, you feel guilty? 
Like that feeling that you have, like, no, like, I shouldn't have done, I shouldn't have done this. You look at your calendar and you see an open night of the week and you don't think, oh, like that's a perfect evening for rest and relaxation. You're like, people don't love me anymore. Like, I need to fill that. And so here's what I need you to see is that an over busy, hurried life of speed is the new normal in our Western world and it is killing us. You guys, it's not the way of Jesus. They begin to, began to diagnose a sickness that they call hurry sickness. It's when somebody can, they're so overwhelmed with life and the rush, they can no longer be present. They can no longer enjoy the moment. They're always accumulating, like, I need more and more things to do. And, and even when things are happening around them, you feel so left out. Even if you're doing things yourself. Recently, I had somebody show me. Uh, they were on vacation. And they showed me um, an Instagram of other people who were hanging out. And they're like, I feel left out. I'm like, you're on vacation right now. Like, of course you couldn't be invited. Like, like that's literally what I'm, we feel this because we are hurry sick. We, we feel like we're missing out if we're not doing more and more. And so I, I want you to participate with me a little bit. I'm going to go through 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. And uh, you can do it on your fingers. There's going to be 10 of them. And, and just keep track. Or you can do it in your mind. Um, but but I, as I go through these, I want you to just recognize, okay, how many of these? You're like, oh, this, this is actually true. This is from a book called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership by Ruth Haley Barton. And I just think it's brilliant. All right, number one, uh, irritability. You get mad, frustrated, or, or just annoyed way too easily. Like, like, like you're irritable. Like little things that really shouldn't bother you irk you. And, and the best way to, to recognize this is don't look at how you treat coworkers or how you treat like a barista or strangers. Look at how you treat those closest to you. Are you irritable with your spouse or your kids or your roommate? Number two, hypersensitivity. Like... All it takes is the right thing said, a small thing, an email, and, and you're immediately triggered. You, you go into this spiral, and you're thinking about it all day long. Minor things, they quickly escalate into a major emotional events. And, and depending on your personality, um, this manifests itself differently. You may become nitpicky, or you may become uh, anxious or, or depressed or, or even tired because you're just overwhelmed with dealing with these things. Third, restlessness. This is where when you actually try to slow down, you actually take a day off. You, you just feel restless the whole time. You, you can't actually relax. I don't know if you've noticed this or I've had conversations with people who are like, they go on a 10-day vacation. They're like, yeah, it took me the first five days just to relax and like get into vacation mode. We feel restless, or with this, you always multitask, you know? You're like, I'm going to watch a show, but I'm also going to read a book, and I'm going to scroll Instagram at the same time. Like, you're, you, you, they, there's just this general restlessness to you. Fourth, workaholism, or, or maybe nonstop activity. You, you, work, you just hunger for more. I work, and I work. The day is never over. You get home from work, and you have all the tasks you want to do at home, and you're going for it. And one of the biggest problems with this is the people nearest and dearest to you, they just get your leftovers. Work gets your best, and your family gets whatever is left over. Number five, emotional numbness. 
where people tell you things and you're like, this does not affect me emotionally the way it used to. I, I no longer even, uh, my emotions feel fatigued or, or I can't even recognize my own emotions. It, it, you, you're just level and steady constantly. A six, a deprioritized life. And, and what I mean by this is you feel disconnected from your identity and calling. You're always getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. You have a hard time with boundaries because you feel like you're missing out or you feel like you're letting people down. And you go years, months, maybe even decades of not doing the things that you said were a priority in your life. The things that actually mattered. Number seven, a lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics. You're not getting enough sleep. Uh, The food that you're consuming is not what's good for you. You're not exercising. And and you find yourself, you're like, I'm gaining weight. I'm constantly tired. I just just feel, um, I feel out of place. I'm always getting sick. You live off the, the four horsemen of the industrial food apocalypse, caffeine, sugar, carbs, and alcohol. Like that's like what you, li- you, you try to get energy from that because you're not taking care of yourself anymore. Number eight, escapist behaviors. Since you're too tired to do what is actually life-giving to your soul, uh, you turn to your distraction of choice. It's either overeating over drinking, binge watching Netflix, browsing social media, like whatever your socially acceptable narcotic is, that's what you turn to, to, to escape reality. Number nine, uh, you're never fully present. You're with people, but like your mind is somewhere else. You're with people, but you're checking your phone of, hey, what's happening elsewhere in the world rather than just like being present right where I'm at. And number 10, and this is, this is kind of where we're all, the crux of it all is the slippage of spiritual disciplines. And, and in some ways, uh, the, the great irony is the things that actually would make us feel rested, the things that would make us feel wholly present, the things that would make us um, connect deeper with people, they, they take work, they take commitment, but we're so exhausted from all the things we're doing, all the things on our calendar that we don't even have time for the life-giving things in our life, all right? Now, anybody want to be honest with themselves right now and like, like go through that list? Like, what'd you hit? Did you get seven, eight? Like, I, like I, it's 10? We'll have a confession corner after the room. Like, when I did this, I had nine. I was like, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. And I realized it's just because I couldn't check off emotional numbness because I still cry whenever I watch a Disney movie. You know, I was like, okay, like, <laughs> but I feel like this isn't good. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, I feel like this is a problem because here's the great irony. We want to be followers of Jesus. Like we want to live meaningful lives. We want to be present with, with people. And this is not the way of Christ. Look, if we are going to become disciples, and if we're going to, as, as a church, say, no, 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 our, our number one priority is that we are disciples of Jesus. It can't be we're just adding more things for you to do. No. We are not trying to just pile on more tasks, more things for you to feel guilty about. 
I don't know, that as disciples of Jesus, we could look at a Savior who carried the weight of the world on his shoulders, yet somehow still walked slowly, somehow still had rest and margin in his life. Because here's what we need to see is that hurry, it's incompatible with the way of Jesus. It is. If we look at the fruit of the Spirit, we look at what the kingdom is built on, I would propose three things are just absolutely necessary. Love, joy, and peace. These aren't just emotions we feel. This is a way of being. Are we, do we, do we exude love with those we're around? Do we, do we just have a joy in our life? Do we just have a peace? These are incompatible. These kingdom values are incompatible with hurry. Look at love, right? Love is slow. It's, love says you matter enough for me to pause what I'm doing and be present with you. Like, I've been noticing, so my daughter Nova, she's six years old, and she is sassy. Oh, man, she is sassafras, right? She does this thing where um, she, like, changes her voice and, and like, um, will, like, discipline me and my wife. She's like, Dad, you know you're not supposed to do that. If that happens again, there will be a consequence. <laughs> and I'm playing, like, I'm playing with her the other day. I'm playing Calico Critters, right? And, and, and uh, <laughs> don't judge me, all right? <laughs> I felt that. And uh, I kept checking my phone. I kept pulling it out. And she goes, Dad, what did we talk about? <laughs> there are no phones during playtime. If it happens again, you're going to lose it. And you know what's crazy about that moment? I wasn't like, I wasn't like, listen, I'm your father. Okay, you don't talk to me that way. I was like, you're right. Because <laughs> she was, am I right? She's, I'm like, no, like, what am I doing? Like, like, love slows down. Love is present. Love isn't worried about all the 27 things that I'm saying. Somehow this email is more important than my six-year-old daughter, right? That, that's why it's incompatible in these moments. Japanese theologian Kasuki Koyama, he wrote this book called The Three Mile an Hour God. And he says, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. But love has its speed. It is an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow. Yet it is Lord over all other speeds, since it is the speed of love. I mean, have you realized how as a society, we use slow as a negative term constantly? You know, if somebody's not the sharpest crayon in the box, you know what I'm saying? Like, like we call them slow. If, 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 if we go to a restaurant and the service is poor, we're like, no, it's slow. If you're watching a movie you don't enjoy, it's slow. Like everything about it, like we, we always labeled as slow, but that's not the way of the kingdom. In the kingdom, slow is of the devil. Corey Tenboom, she said this beautiful thing. If the Lord, if, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If he can't make you bad, he'll make you busy because he, it distracts you from slowly walking with Christ. What about joy, right? 
Is, can joy be compatible with hurry? Absolutely not, because you're literally rushing through things. Like, we don't enjoy what is in front of us. You ever watched, like, a little kid on a swing and, like, looked at their face and, and the joy they're experiencing, or they're, like, chasing bubbles, right? And you're like, you have more joy in this moment than I've experienced in a decade, right? They're just solely, fully present, right? Like, oh, this bubble, it's going to pop. You're like, yes, it is. Like, this swing, it's going to go up. And it's going to, there's joy. I, I saw this picture yesterday, and it, it was of Tiger Woods, and he's teeing up, right? And it's got this crowd behind him. And they all have their cell phones, and they're not looking at Tiger while, like, filming. Like, they're, like, looking at their phone, like, filming him. Like, like, the digital experience somehow is better than being in front of Tiger Woods. And there was just this old man, and he's standing there, and he's got a Michelob light in his hand. <laughs> Everyone else has a cell phone, and he's just like, I'm standing in front of Tiger Woods, watching him swing. It's a good day. Like, he just, I, like... It's just the joy in his face. I was like, this is, like, I'm not saying you need a Michelob light to, like, enjoy life, right? But, like, the, just the moment, the beauty of it. Like, we are not present. We do not enjoy things. And peace, like, I, I don't even know if, like, do I even have to make an argument for peace and hurry, right? Like, getting, like, next time, if you think, like, peace and hurry are compatible, just watch your behavior in your family when you're late for something and you're trying to get your kids in the car. Like, is the shalom of the Lord, like, the deep-seated peace of God resting upon your family in them? No, it's not. You're saying irrational things. You're like, get in the car or I'm selling the dog. Like, come on. <laughs> Like, right? This, like, he, this is, this is not the kingdom. Like, what are, like, what are we doing to our lives? We're rushing, we're moving, we gotta go, and, and, and we're addicted to it, and we think that's the only way I'm valuable to society. That's the only way I'm living my calling if I do all these things, and this is not the way of Christ. I need you to just feel this in this moment. Like, you, like you're killing yourself. You are destroying your spirituality. You are ruining your relationships. And it's not the way of the kingdom. Ronald Rollheiser, he puts it like this in a book he wrote in the early 2000s. He says, today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. What is he saying? He's like, the way life is, it, it's made it impossible for us to have depth in our lives. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, we're distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God or depth or spirit. We would like these things. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these things show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life that they produce than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. I read this book in 2004. It was three years before the invention of the iPhone, and he was feeling concerned 
that we are too busy and distracted to have actual spiritual depth in our lives. Like, man, if Ronald could see us now, we are rushing ourselves into spiritual shallowness. We have no depth. I, uh, handful of years ago, I, this new restaurant opened up over by Ikea, and uh, it was, I was like so excited about it because they just made two things. Um, fried chicken sandwiches and bratwurst. And I was like, I don't know whose calling in life it was to build this restaurant, but I value and appreciate that person. I was so happy about it. I'm like, I'm like, I don't even have to decide what restaurant to go to anymore. Like, I'll just go there and decide which of the two. And I go in, and they just opened up, and I mean, it was hustle and bustle. I mean, they were just moving. Like, it was like an open kitchen concept, so you just see all the cooks back there, and they're just moving, and they're, you know, you see the stress, and there's this line, and everybody's sweating. And I get my sandwich, and I sit down, and I take a bite, and I'm like, this is the Shekinah glory of God. It was so delicious. I kid you not. This was the most tender, juicy chicken sandwich I've ever had in my life. It was so good. I was like, I need to actually open this sandwich to see the insides. And so I did. And I realized why it was so tender and juicy. It was because, they, because it was like, it was a bit on the rare side. <laughs> and I literally was like, they, they forgot to cook my sandwich, right? And in that moment, I'm like, I don't, like, am I going to die? Like, what's going to happen, you know? And so I go up, I go to the manager, and, and I was like, hey, can I, can I talk to you? I'm like, I don't want to make a scene. And I, and I was like, hey, I just need to show you my sandwich. And I open it, and he gasps. He goes, <gasps> which I'm like, that, that's not the response I was hoping for in this moment. And I'm like, what's going to happen to me? He's like, I don't know, man, but that's not good, <laughs> right? And so he just gives me a refund and hands me a vitamin water and sends me on my way. Like vitamin water is the solution, right? Like 50 Cent just knew salmonella was going to be one of the dangers of your life. And this is going to be, going to be the solution. Like it just was like, what is, ha- what is happening? Why did that happen? No, I survived. Okay. Why did that happen? Because they were so busy. They were so rushed trying to get these sandwiches put together and given to you that they forgot the most important part of a chicken sandwich, cooking the chicken. (laughs) How much have we done this in our lives? Where we are so rushed trying to live fulfilled, satisfying lives that we're missing on the most important thing. What is the most important thing? It's spiritual depths with our creator and relationship with those around us. It's incompatible with the way of Jesus. But, but here's the good news, that Jesus has offered us a way. And what we need to do is we need to take the yoke of Jesus upon ourselves. We need to actually walk with him What if we could actually live in a way that had rhythm and pace and was actually sustainable? And and can I just encourage you in this moment right now? Like, would you just take a big sigh of relief? The weight of the world is not on your shoulders. The culture war that we're experiencing is not up to you to solve. This is not about reading one more book. This is not about figuring out one more better 
term for life balance. This is not about one more calendar strategy. This is about us saying, how do we be people who live the way of Jesus? I was sitting down with a guy one time and uh, he, he was sharing with me what he thought about me as a pastor. And he said this thing and he meant it as an insult. And he looked at me and he said, you know, you just make it so easy for people to be a Christian. And I sat there and I thought, I feel like Jesus said something like that. See, we've gotten it, we, we've gotten it so backwards where we think we need to feel overwhelmed. We think we need to just be like beaten down in order to be deep. And yet, what does Jesus say? Let's read it again. Come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are overworked, all you who are burdened, all you who are overloaded, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does that not sound so refreshing? Like clear, clean water to a parched soul. That's what we need. We need the way, the life, the hope, the healing of Jesus. I want to read the message paraphrase for you because it's just so good on this passage. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. See, if we feel this, Jesus lays out two things that we need to do. First, uh, we need to bring our burdens to Jesus. Like, what is feeling overwhelming to you? What is exhausting you? Jesus says, bring it to him. Like, listen to his language. It's like he's wooing us. He's, he's reminding us that we are safe with him. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Like, like what burden did you walk in with today? Is it a boss that just feels like they have it out for you? Like, bring it to Jesus. Is it a relationship that just feels like it is crumbling apart? Bring it to Jesus. Is it the day-to-day grind that you feel? Like it just never ends. Bring it to Jesus. Is it a season of singleness that you never wanted or lasted way longer than you ever expected? Would you bring that to Christ? Are you trying to find a home for your family? And it seems like every opportunity just vaporizes before your eyes. Bring it, like whatever it is Jesus cares about. It matters to him because it matters to you. But we need to be a people that come to him in prayer. I say, Lord, I, tr- I, need to, I need you to help me believe and trust that you actually care about these things in my life. And would you bring them to Christ? In worship, posture yourself. 
Jesus, you are king. You are ruler. I need you to take this off my shoulders. I can't bear this burden any longer. Get away and sit and journal and cry out to him, but bring your burdens to Christ. And let me tell you what Jesus is going to do. Because we think, okay, if I just do this, then he's going to take it away. He's not going to take it away. That's actually not typically what he does. He does two things. One, he walks with you through it. He says, you don't have to carry this alone anymore. And two, he carries the load. He gives you a way to live to where you can actually live out your calling to where you can actually live out the burdens that he's put in your life. Because it's not about us just disappearing. It's about us walking with Jesus and the way of Jesus. And the way we do this is by taking his yoke upon us. This word yoke, it's actually a term, we looked at it a few few weeks ago. It's a term for a rabbi's teaching or interpretation. It's the way that we are to live. It, it, It comes from a farming term where they would take two oxen and they would put a yoke on them. And and it does two things that you can see. One, it attaches them together. And Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. Attach yourself to me that we can walk in unison, that we can carry this together. But it also attaches them to the load that they're bearing behind so that they're carrying it properly. And what Jesus is saying in the scriptures is not, hey, there won't be any burdens in your life. He's saying, if you live the way that I call you to live, you're going to be able to carry these things side by side with me properly. And you're going to be able to walk and thrive in them. In fact, this term easy, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That term easy, it means properly fitted. It's like when you go and get a suit tailored, saying it's pro- my yoke is perfectly fit for the life that I've called you to. This is why the way of Jesus is the fullness. And so here, here's my ask. Man, would you acknowledge these things today? And would you join us over the next few weeks? Next week, we're going to look at the way that Jesus lived and how we can grow and learn from that and be with him. And then the two weeks after that, we're going to look at some patterns that we can have in our own lives that allow us to have rest and margin and actually walk in a sustainable pace. See, to kind of wrap my story up, that was the point, uh, you know, where we're building this building and building our house and going and going. And I read this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, And I hated it. I was like, bro, I got stuff to do. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And I kind of was like, if I'm honest, I was a little bit dismissive of it. Like, nah, like this is not going to work for me. (laughs) And, um, And then this thing happened called COVID. And everything that was so important immediately shut down. And like rest... And margin was like forced upon us all. God's like, all right, you're just going to all take a Sabbath for two years. <laughs> and um, a few months into that, my wife was sitting down with me and she was telling me, um, she was just sharing like what, 
she was feeling and what she was going through emotionally. And uh, she, she made a comment to me. She's like, hey, I, I wrote this all and explained it well in a note in my phone. I actually want you to read it because I think it would be helpful for you. And so a couple days later, I grabbed her phone and I went to the notes app and I scrolled and I found a note called Feelings. But it was the wrong note. Um, it wasn't a note about how she was feeling about her emotions. It was a note her honestly sharing how, she was, how it felt being married to me. And I remember lying down reading that. And one of the lines that she says was like, I feel like you're a conductor of a train. And my whole life is spent running behind trying to catch up. And I remember thinking in that moment, like, I have to change. Like, like I, I may think I'm thriving in this pace, but like I'm killing those around me. Like I am putting a brutal pace on my kids. Like I'm putting a brutal pace on my church. Those of you guys who have led with me for years, like you remember what that was like. Like it was like, this is intense. And we were just go, 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 go. Jesus over these last two years, he has done a work in me that has not only made it more sustainable for my long-term run, but for our church as a whole. And so you'll notice, like, we're not just this program-heavy, do-things-every-night-of-the-week church. We're like, no, we gather on Sundays, and then we gather in groups. Like, we need to be a people who live the way of Jesus. And I just, I just need you to acknowledge in this moment, like if you are running yourself ragged, you are killing yourself, either physically, emotionally, spiritually, or maybe all three. And that's not the way of Christ. Can we, we need to be a people who live the way and the pace and walk as Jesus did. Lord, would you guide our church in this as disciples of you, would we just have this sense of relief as we take on your, your yoke, your way of living, your way of walking? Would it be rest for our souls? Would it draw us deeper into relationship or the things that matter? Would it draw us deeper into relationship with you? Would we be a people who walk slowly, that walk the speed of love, that find joy in the moments that you give us and can bring peace of the kingdom as we walk. We pray all this in your name. Amen.